When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of For Real is sponsored by TBR. It's time to check out TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are. Then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads just for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. And the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. Recording this week's episode on Tuesday, March 21st. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I am swell. How are you doing? I am recovering from a cold, but oh. otherwise I'm doing pretty well, I would say. That's fantastic. It's finally feeling like spring outside, which is great. We were talking about that in my team meeting at work today. People were like, oh, I feel kind of like happy. Yeah. <laughs> Very odd. Yes. I was vacationing last weekend or the weekend before, I guess. And it was super warm and sunny where we went in Arizona. And then I came home and it was like 50 degrees. And then it was very nice last week. Uh, and I was like, yes, thank you. It's like 40 degrees and like sleeting today. But we're we're on the upswing to to good weather, I think. Which is fantastic. Um, we have a fair amount of follow-up, I would say. I was, Yes, we do. We do have many things to follow up. You want to go first? Yes, I would. I would <laughs> like to talk more about Lincoln books that I am reading. <laughs> so they're all on audio. I don't know why I've made this choice, but I have, and I'm leaning into it. So I read Team of Rivals on audio, which we will talk about later. And since then, so I did two of the kind of like Lincoln books that like a novelist, like a popular novelist mm-hmm. paired up with a historian. I think is I think Dan Abrams. No, Dan Abrams is like a newscaster. Anyway, I read The Lincoln Conspiracy, which was about the original plot to assassinate Lincoln before he became president, like before he was inaugurated. And then Lincoln's last trial, which is not great, and is basically a blow-by-blow account of Lincoln's maybe his last murder trial before becoming president. So it like really focuses on him as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. that part was interesting but it really was like i found the court transcript and we're just gonna go through it <laughs> so i was like i don't need that and then right now i'm doing the zealot and the emancipator by hw brands which is about both lincoln and john brown which is an interesting pairing i don't think it's like a shocking one for mm. the time but it's just and then yesterday my wife gave me a lincoln funko pop <laughs> and he sti- like sits on my desk and is my my little moral center 
for my desk. I just like, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm delighted by it. I just am currently very much in a Lincoln thing. That is uh, super interesting. I am very into um, fraudsters and scoundrels right now. So (laughs) the two books I read on vacation were uh, The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, which is fiction about uh, female code breakers during World War II, but like the big um, plot machinations of the book is that one of them is betrayed by someone who turns out to be a spy. So that, and then I read Scoundrel by Sarah Weinman, which is new nonfiction about a guy named Edgar Smith, who was convicted of murder and then convinced a bunch of people, including William F. Buckley, that he was actually innocent. And there was a whole like celebrity campaign to get him released from jail. And then spoiler alert, he was, and this is not a spoiler, this is in the synopsis, he was. And then shortly after he tried to murder someone else because he was a sociopath. That was fascinating also. Oh, I was going to ask if that was, because I really liked uh, Weinman's first book. The Real Lolita. The Real Lolita. Yeah, that was great. So, but this seems like, I I could see like some commonalities with the two, but like Mm -hmm. just a very different sort of case. Yeah, it it was really good. Um, I love that she, she, it's it's a really well told story. She pulls in a ton of really interesting details. There's a lot of just stuff where you're like, wow, is that? actually true and it is because it's so strange but she never never loses sight of the victims so like both the young girl he killed and then the women he manipulated and uh, the woman he attacks later like she never loses sight of those people and their stories and that like they're actually the reason why this matters which i really appreciate because it can be easy to sort of like ignore that part of it to like tell a good true crime story so i thought that was really effective and well done and then continuing on the fraud theme i'm also (laughs) watching three fraud tv shows right now uh we talked about the dropout which is the elizabeth holmes hulu show based on uh john carrero's bad blood my boyfriend and i started watching we crashed which is the one about uh, we work and adam newman and his very strange wife and then netflix is inventing anna which i think maybe we've talked about which is about anna delvey anna sorkin who is a new york society fraudster we i've been watching that one just by myself (laughs) We um okay so I watched 3 episodes of that and then I was like, "Oh, maybe I should pick up the book my friend Anna." But then I was in the Twin Cities this last weekend, did not get to see Kim unfortunately. But um I was talking to someone there and they were like, "Oh yeah, no, my friend Anna is by the like really bad friend." Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the in the show. And I mean, we're not saying of course that Inventing Anna is like absolutely a correct portrayal of people, <laughs> but This same friend was like, oh, yeah, I watched a documentary about it was like an hour long documentary on HBO or something um, about the case. And her I guess like her testimony at trial was the only one where the judge was like, yeah, no, you weren't like this. You weren't hurt like hurt by like her actions. (laughs) Like this was just your own bad judgment. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have not personally seen it, so I can't. But like I, I trust that friend. That's interesting. Yeah. So I, yeah, Inventing Anna is based on a magazine article, which is kind of the first thing that exposed her. And then My Friend Anna by, uh, I think, Rachel Deloche Williams. That could be wrong. I hope it's not. She was one of the young women who Anna Sorkin defrauded and like stole money from. But I haven't watched the documentary. So that's interesting. Now I'm going to have to watch that too once I finished the the fictional show but yeah it's it's interesting like all the fraud stuff that's happening right now and how interested we are in people scamming other people 
Well, we've kind of talked about in the past how con artists are kind of, it's almost like a fun true crime if mm-hmm. they are conning like just the wealthy, which is what Anna Delvey Sororkin was doing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So people are just like, oh, wow, this is like, just like bananas, because she's like, taking all this money from these people who then also, by the way, like seem to mostly just get it back because they're well connected. Yeah, there's in one of the episodes of the show, and I don't, again, the show is sort of fictionalized, so I don't know how true it is. But like, one of the questions the reporter Vivian asks is sort of like, do you feel bad that you tricked this like wealthy lawyer guy basically into like doing things for you? And she's just in Anna response with like, no, he's fine. And then you see like what happens to this lawyer and like, he's embarrassed and whatever. He lost his company some money, but he got promoted. And then like the biggest consequence of his action is that he like lost his squash court. So he doesn't get to play on squash court one anymore. He has to play on squash court 12 and it's very embarrassing for him. And you're like, yeah, okay, man, everything's fine. (laughs) You're good. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I wonder why uh, there's so much talk about, like, fraud and, like, fictionalization of these, like, true, you know, fraud cases. Yeah. Um, I also think it's funny that you're into that and I'm into Lincoln right now. Um, They're kind of (laughs) opposite situation. I think for me, I feel like it's so stressful, like, everything bad happening. And he Mm -hmm. tries so hard to make the right decision. Yeah. And it's just satisfying to, like, see that there is someone in power, even if it was in the 1860s, (laughs) who was, like, genuinely trying. Yeah. And I think probably, like, at least part of these that I like is, I think ultimately, they all sort of get their comeuppance, like, they are stopped. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so it's kind of satisfying to see, like, ha ha, you, this will affect you, even though you are terrible. We'll, we'll see, though. I don't, I don't know how long this is going to, like, hold out. It's just a lot of TV all at the same time, but, but we'll see. Before we continue on with the episode, I want to do just do one uh, quick correction. I think I got a name wrong in the last edition of the podcast. The author of Fairest, which is a memoir we talked about, is Meredith Telusan. Uh, so I just wanted to correct that because I think I misspoke her last name. So that's that. Fantastic. Let's talk about our first sponsor, which is Harper Perennial, publisher of Pandora's Jar by Natalie Haynes. I am very excited about this sponsor. This is the national best-selling author author of A Thousand Ships, returns with a fascinating, eye-opening take on the remarkable women at the heart of classical Greek mythology. Wow. From Helen of Troy to Pandora and the Amazons to Medea. So the tellers of Greek myths who are historically men have routinely sidelined the female characters. When they do take a larger role, women are often portrayed as monstrous, vengeful, or evil. And in Pandora's Jar, Natalie Haynes resurrects these myths from a woman's perspective, which is awesome. She looks at women such as Jocasta, Oedipus's mother turned lover and wife, at once the cleverest person in the story and yet often unnoticed. She demonstrates how the vilified Medea was like an ancient Beyonce. <laughs> Kidding. I love that. Getting her revenge on the man who hurt and betrayed her, if by extreme measures. Originally, they published Natalie Haynes's uh, novelistic retelling of the Trojan War from a feminist perspective. It became a national bestseller. It was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. And this is uh, kind of like the nonfiction, not like version of that, but taking definitely like women from that time and looking at the actual stories that these came from and how you can reinterpret this from a different perspective, which is so cool. So again, this is Pandora's Jar by Natalie Haynes, published by Harper Perennial. Thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. That sounds super fun. 
Uh, all right. So with that, we will jump into um, nonfiction in the news. So these are news stories about in the world of nonfiction that we uh, think you will find interesting. So Alice, you have our first news story this week. Yeah. So the National Book Critics Circle Award winners were announced, which is soups exciting, if you will. The nonfiction uh, award winner is How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. The subtitle of this is A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America. It came out in June 2021. The biography pick is All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days, The True Story of the American Woman at the Heart of the German Resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. And the autobiography is Gay Bar, Why We Went Out by Jeremy Atherton Lynn. Fantastic. And then the last nonfiction pick is critic- in the criticism category is Girlhood by Melissa Fabos, which I think I heard about the most of these last year. Yeah, I think most of those were uh, familiar titles. I, this but this um, award is interesting because it's awarded by book critics. They're not. You're saying they're not going to pick like super unheard of books. Yeah, I think so. Are there? And they're going to pick stuff that like has a critical conversation around it. So like the Clint Smith book, I remember. There's just a lot of conversation about. It. I think Girlhood too. It felt like there was a lot of different people kind of commenting on that and responding to it. So yeah. it makes sense to me that those are ones that are you know familiar. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. It'll be a lot more book awards soon, but that's a good one to, to share. Um, our second news article is one that I'm really excited about. The link we'll share is from The Wrap, and it is about um, how Brene Brown has a, an HBO Max special coming up uh, around her book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, which is her newest book. So the five-episode unscripted series begins streaming on March 31st, so in just a couple of days from when you're listening to this. The purpose of it is to figure out how to cultivate meaningful connections with ourselves and each other. And so the trailer that dropped shows like a studio audience and she's talking about her book and kind of sharing about that. So she's going to take viewers on an interactive journey through the range of emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human. So it is grounded in her decades of research and will be all about that. So I watched the trailer and it looks like something that could make me cry, potentially. Oh, I don't know. It's just very like warm and you know, feel your feelings and like, you're a good person and stuff like that always makes me emotional. So we'll see. That's really nice. Yeah. So Atlas of the Heart will be soon. So maybe I'll watch that instead of all the fraud uh, TV shows for a while. <laughs> all right. Uh, so with that, we will jump into uh, this week's new nonfiction, which is books coming out now or soon that we are excited about. And I'm really jazzed to talk about this first book because it was set to come out last fall and then it got delayed a few different times and is finally out now. And so I'm really, it's it's really good. So the book is called Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones Who Haunt Us, which is edited by Colleen Kinder, came out March 22nd from Algonquin. So Colleen Kinder is the editor of this magazine called Off Assignment, and it's kind of a travel magazine. Um, and one of the regular columns that they have had in the magazine for years and years and years is called Letter to a Stranger. And so they invite authors to write a letter to someone who who they don't know, but who had a, an, an interaction or a meaningful connection to them at some point. And so the Letter to a Stranger, the collection, is just a bunch of those letters all put together and organized into different sections. And so they're letters written from experiences people have had all over the world. So there's just a huge range in there. And then they um, 
they just they cover a bunch of different topics. So there's ones about symmetry. So people meeting people who are kind of like them in some way, but like also somehow different. Um, there's ones about mysteries. There's some about chemistry, some about gratitude. And so they're all written as letters directed to these strangers that they met. And so there are um, contributors like Lauren Groff, um, Leslie Jameson, Elizabeth Colbert, all sorts of different people. Um, and so it's just they're so fascinating because like we've all had experiences where like a stranger like really strikes us in some way and so just to have those written down and like getting to hear people talk about their travel experiences and just these like chance and off encounters I have just found it really fascinating um they're all nice and short so you can like pick it up and sort of read a couple and then put it down and come back to it and they're all I like the way that the themes are kind of building on each other and, but the way that they're all completely different and just new and kind of cool. So this one is really neat and I'm excited about it. Uh, Letter to a Stranger, Essays to the Ones Who Haunt Us by Colleen Kinder. Oh, that is so neat. And like, that is also a really good collection of authors. Mm -hmm. Having like Elizabeth Colbert and Lauren Groff is like, I would would never combine them. I know. It's, it's, yeah, it's super, just a lot of different people and just a lot of different perspectives. And then lots of people that like, you know, you've never really heard of before, but they're all travel writers or writers to a degree. So like the writing is really excellent too. Um, That is fantastic. My first new pick for this week is Dress Code, Unlocking Fashion from the New Look to Millennial Pink by Veronique Highland. Veronique has a very French first name, so I really hope her last name is not pronounced Eland or something, but it's H-Y-L-A-N-D. Anyway, so I am not a fashion person. That is not why this book called to me. Veronique Island is the L Fashion Features Director, and this is a series of essays about fashion. The reason that I am interested in this is that I, after almost two years of living in sweatpants and various forms of joggers... I have started to, you know, we've started like maybe going out in the world and seeing people again. And I'm like, oh, gosh, how am I presenting myself? I don't know what I'm wearing. Like, it's been stressing me out a lot. Like, what will I wear? And I think I've just been more and more conscious of how people are presenting themselves in what they're wearing. So uh, when I saw this, I was like, oh, oh, (laughs) yes, that is what I've been thinking about recently. (laughs) So... In this, she in these essays uh, again. There's about fifteen. She looks at things like uh, why has the French girl persisted as our most undying archetype? What does dressing for yourself really mean for a woman? Which is kind of like the key thing I'm interested in right now. Again, how should a female politician dress? Which like, mm. I mean, I that's probably been like just maybe overcovered in terms of articles when women are running for office right it's like oh there's this double standard and like it shouldn't matter what they're wearing but it still does and so you know like how does this uh show itself and then will gender differentiated fashion go forever out of style which would be so cool (laughs) so just like covering a lot of different topics in the way that fashion presents itself in our lives and just like what we are wearing and what other people are wearing and how this makes us feel and think and just again I personally am not like oh I'm gonna follow all of these fashion trends or even be aware of any of them but it still is like this thing that is very influential every day of our lives just in either how we feel about ourselves or how we think about others etc so it is a I would say an, an evergreen timely book 
Uh, <laughs> is dress code unlocking fashion from the new look to millennial pink by Veronique Highland. Yeah, talking about like going back out into the world and like how am I supposed to dress and like what do I do? I had to start going into the office more regularly like back in the fall and it was a very hard transition of like what do I even do here? Yeah. I mean, do you know how many pairs of joggers I own now? Because it's so many. Yeah, right? A lot of sweatpants and then like very few real pants that fit. But then like even just like one year of staying home, like clothes are not in style anymore. Mm. And like, I don't care that much about it. But like then I don't. Yeah, just great pick. I can't do the short waisted puffy sleeve thing. I'm so short already. I I don't feel like it works. No, it's terrible. (laughs) Just. Just a lot to figure out. So great pick. I I sympathize with your uh, reason for choosing it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, my next pick is a pivot. Uh, it's called You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation by Julissa Arce, uh, which came out March 22nd from Flatiron Books. So this is a, quote, polemic against the myth that assimilation leads to happiness and belonging for immigrants in America. Julissa Arce is a political commentator and an author. Her previous book uh, was called My Underground American Dream, My True Story as an Undocumented Immigrant Who Became a Wall Street Executive. And so she um, was an undocumented immigrant as a child. She eventually gets her green card and is able to become an American citizen. But this book is really about like why assimilation is not a path for immigrants and it's not even like a thing that people should be aspiring to. Um, And it's really a pushback against that, uh, which I think is really interesting. So she, the title comes from like, you sound like a white girl is a thing that she was told by a person in high school. And at the time she thought like, oh yes, okay, cool. Like that's a compliment. But then as she had grow up and like learned more and sort of saw what is going on, she realized that that was actually not like the idea of sounding like a white girl is a racist thing that was meant to make her sort of be less of herself and not be the person that she wanted to be. And so she writes about like kind of trying to assimilate, trying to become white, trying to aspire to all of that at each stage of her life and her career, and then just like never being able to do it. And so by trying to assimilate what she lost and how like she was never even going to get to be that way anyway. And so um, the book is kind of part memoir and then part manifesto just about like why assimilation is um, what she calls like a, a moving target designed to keep black and brown Americans and immigrants chasing the American ideal that is fundamentally like not open to them anyway. Uh, and so she explores different lies around assimilation, lies about success, about legality, about whiteness and English, that if you get those things, then you will not be an outsider anymore, but how that's just really not true. And so she eventually argues that belonging comes through celebrating yourself, being yourself, celebrating your culture and the things that make you unique and that we don't all have to be assimilated and the same in order to be our sort of best and most powerful selves. This one is so interesting too. It reminds me a lot of um, Black American Refugee by Tiffany Drayton, which I talked about earlier. Like it has similar, I think, um, threads about the promises that America makes to people and the asks that it makes particularly to black and brown people that then it doesn't follow through on uh, and how those affect people's ability to live happy and productive lives, happy and, and safe and 
call you know, just how it affects people in all all aspects of their lives. And so I think that's really interesting. And I, she just has a really very um, unique perspective and just a lot to think about in sort of how we all fit into like ideas around America and what it is to be American. Uh, so that is You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation by Julissa Arce. That sounds really good and interesting. And I like the book pairing that you put with it. Just kind of, you know, like, oh, this has like very similar themes to this mm-hmm. other thing. Uh, if In case people are just like, I would like to read about rejecting assimilation and like living into who you are. My goodness. I feel kind of bad about my pick because we we talked earlier when you were talking about the new Sarah Weinman book uh, and you were talking about its focus on the victims and I'm like, oh, this is not about them. (laughs) But I would like to talk about Hell's Half Acre, the untold story of the Benders, America's first serial killer family by, okay, here's the deal. I looked really hard for a video on how to pronounce Susan Jonas's last name and I am not confident in it. This is the new book section where I am finally not confident about anyone's <laughs> name pronunciation. That's never happened before. I know. It's J-O-N-U-S-A-S. So I'm going to say Jonasus. Jonas. Jonasus. Anyway, she's she's really put a lot of research into this book. So in 1873 in Labette County, Kansas, the people of that county found uh, a lot of buried bodies in an orchard at the home formerly occupied by the Bender family, which uh, they had vanished in the night. This was after so basically the Benders operated a sort of like a roadside hotel slash place, but it was like, you know, like a little hut, like a little, just a little house. And they basically kept uh, attacking travelers who would stay with them and they made sure that they like didn't have family and then they would steal from them and then bury them in the backyard essentially so they finally got found out because they killed someone whose uh, family came looking for him so i think it was his brother but i've watched a number of documentaries about it so it's not the untold story like it says like it's definitely been told but i am very interested in like new books about them because People always throughout the decades change the way that they tell history. And the benders are are extremely interesting because they were never caught, right? They did just sort of disappear after they were sort of suspected of finally like people like, oh, where did all those people go? And this was like a Pa Bender and Kate Bender, who people were like some gentlemen were very interested in. But then there was some suspicion that maybe none of the Benders were actually related and they were just like a traveling murderous group. It's it's just a weird story in 1870s Kansas, which at the time was also not that developed of an area, I would mm. say. So it's just, it's like a weird part of American history. But so if you're interested in true crime, particularly in the the more murderous aspect of true crime and involving people who everyone involved in the story has passed, right? You're not going to like still have people who are having negative effects from this mm-hmm. story being told. It is Hell's Half Acre, the untold story of the Benders, America's first serial killer family. That one sounds very interesting. The first serial killer family? Like, who knew there was, like, a first... I mean, there must have been a first one, but... There were probably ones before it. But, like, in terms of <laughs> in terms of America, yeah. that might be the... It's the earliest recorded, I think. Fascinating. Yeah. Sounds super interesting. 
All right, uh, so we have a couple of quick mentions to add to this week. So the first one I wanted to mention was All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep, Hope and Hard Pills to Swallow about Fighting for Black Lives by Andre Henry, which is about uh, Andre Henry is, quote, a leading voice for social justice. And the book is about how he stopped arguing with white people who deny the ongoing legacy of racism. And he offers a proven path forward for black people and people of color based on the history of nonviolent struggle. So this one sounds real fascinating oh and i (laughs) would like to talk about burning my roti bearing breaking barriers as a queer indian woman by sharon dhaliwal um this is based on the magazine burnt roti uh also founded by sharon dhaliwal and this memoir is is kind of a um guide for south asian women and just sort of focusing on issues that are particularly relevant to them but also for women so but i mean it is very focused on south asian women and i i feel like when i saw the subtitle you know breaking barriers as a queer indian woman i was like i do not see a lot of books Mm -hmm. by that let's say demographic so uh i was really excited to see this title but again burning my roti breaking barriers as a queer indian woman by sharon deliwell excellent that one sounds really good too All right, so with that, we'll jump into our second sponsor. Uh, This week's episode is also sponsored by Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for Book Deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. Today in Books uh, sums up the most interesting literary headlines every day. Uh, The Riot Rundown is our roundup of the most exciting new content. Or you can sign up for New Books, which compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday which if you didn't know, Tuesday is new release day in publishing. So that is a great day to find out all the great books that are coming out. We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, mystery and thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. All right, so um, we're, our theme this episode is not super timely, I guess, other than like maybe it's always timely. I don't know. Uh, We're talking about reads for self-care, which predictably, like when we picked this topic, I was like, oh yes, that will be no problem. It will be easy to decide on books for that. And then when I sat down and I tried to actually pick books, I went down an incredible rabbit hole trying to be like, well, what does books for self-care mean? Because first (laughs) I was thinking about self-help books and then I was like, those aren't really about self-care. (laughs) Like self-improvement is not always or really self-care. Like, I don't know. And then, um, I was listening to a podcast and the the person on it said, self-care, she defines it as things that make you feel like yourself or things that help you feel like yourself. And that was an interesting one to me. I don't know, like when you think self-care, what do you think about Alice? I guess I think of just sort of, I immediately think relaxation, which mm-hmm. I don't know that that's always, but I tend to have like a lot of projects going on all the time. And so like Mm -hmm. having like space to just kind of sit, Mm -hmm. I'm always just like, oh, nice. And kind of just like absorb the things that I am interested in, which is definitely the direction that I took with this particular (laughs) prompt. Yeah, I think that's part of where I landed too, is like reading as self-care for me is when you can get super absorbed in something and really like ignore the rest of everything that like that's what reading does is it helps my brain like stop hamster wheeling and just sort of like focus in on one thing and so reading for self-care is really about being absorbed in it in some ways 
So my first pick is one that's actually inspired by you, Alice. Um, I read it very recently. Uh, It's called World of Wonders and Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks, and Other Astonishments by Amy Zucamatato, which this book came out in 2020. And I picked it up because it's a nature book. And you always talk about nature books and how much you like reading about nature and animals. And also reading about, like, people who care deeply about particular things. And that's a lot of what this book is. And so I just recently finished reading it and it is so good. It is a collection of essays about the natural world and the way that animals and plants and things in nature can teach and inspire us. So as a child, the author grew up in a bunch of different places for various reasons. Her family moved a lot and she traveled a lot. And so um, she spent part of her childhood on living on a Kansas mental institution. Her mother was a doctor there. And so they lived on a house like on the estate of the institution. She lived in Arizona. She um, lived in New York and Ohio, but she is a person who always really loved nature and so found a lot and learned a lot in nature in those different places. Uh, she's also now as an adult, a poet and a teacher. And so she brings a lot of that perspective to these different um, essays. And so each one is about like an animal or a plant um, or an area of the world. And it's a like personal essay and also like some history and background and biology of that animal. And um, they, it, it, they are just, I, I cannot even tell you how good these essays are. They are just stunning. Like I laughed out loud at many of them. I cried cried tears during one about an octopus oh yeah i was not expecting that i was just like reading it and then it got to this one about the octopus and i got to the end and i was just just tears streaming down my face because it was so lovely oh so the octopus is okay no oh no (laughs) no okay lovely and sad lovely and sad But also just like really funny and there's all these beautiful illustrations of the different animals and plants. So there's one of an axolotl, which is this like little like salamander lizard thing that has this big smile that is just is so cute. But the like essay about it is really interesting about like how they go about the world and like live their lives and stuff. Um, it is just it is just like chef's kiss. It is so, so great. And so like, if you just need to sort of something nice and soothing, but also like emotional and absorbing and to like feel a lot of feelings, because I had a lot of feelings while I was reading it, um, I recommend this one. So World of Wonders and Praise of Fireflies, Whale Sharks and Other Astonishments by Amy Nezukumatato. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> she starts off that book talking about a catalpa tree which mm-hmm. that she used to, I think, either sit under or read under or both. And um, we have catalpa trees out front of our home, and I, like, love them. They're so, like, they're just great trees. So when she started describing, I, but I didn't know that they were catalpa trees uh, out front of my place. But when she started describing them, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> looked up the, like, characteristics of our tree, and I was like, that is a so yeah she does such a great job yeah. of just like being descriptive and uh making you appreciate things i have not finished it clearly because i didn't know about the octopus oh my gosh it is i was reading <gasps> it and i i was like oh octopus that's so sweet and then it, it like takes a turn and i was just crying <laughs> like oh my god this octopus my brother did an illustration for this american life and he it was about like a whale that's lost and i was like wait is this about the loneliest whale that oh, in that book yeah. that kim read mm-hmm. and i still don't know but i told him i was like how can you illustrate this about 
sad whale because he have to have, he kept having me look at like versions of the illustration <laughs> to be like how's this can you tell what this is and i was just like no it's so sad every time <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah so when when i am emotionally ready i will pick up world of wonders my first pick is calypso by david sedaris i was very resistant to david sedaris for a very long time because everyone loved him and (laughs) you know it's that annoying like whatever like i don't want to do it because you all are saying i will like love it but calypso is my favorite book of his so far uh it's at, before you know his he has a new one coming out but it's his most recent set of essays that are not just like, compilations from previous works and it's about he buys a a beach house on the east coast and it's for his family his dad and his siblings and he thinks it's going to be like great and then it you know it it is kind of is like he very much appreciates his family and i really appreciate that about david sedaris like it's very much like we're all very strange and we get each other Mm -hmm. he also talks about the phenomenon of how you can go as you get older or like move through life you your relationship with your siblings changes like sometimes you're closer to others and like it's just like i very much felt that like i have been very close with i have three brothers and very close with different ones of them through different periods so like i think that he talks about the difficulty of like you know, having these conversations with his very, like, kind of conservative father, but, like, still, like, having this relationship with him. And there is – I don't remember if he, one of his sisters dies by suicide or if it's an accident, but that is in the book, so be aware. Um, and he talks about how everyone – how it was kind of – he had a very – he had times where, again, he was very close with her, and then she – pretty much like distanced herself from most of the family and um he also talks about his extreme closeness with his sister amy sedaris and how they will go on like shopping sprees in japan (laughs) and just buy really uh unusual clothing which then again my oldest brother the one who did this illustration he um was like texting me photos from the store that like david sedaris mentions of like this clothing and he was like should i start buying this stuff (laughs) (laughs) anyway it's like so for me this book is self-care because it's just it it reminds me kind of of my family and i think he does such a good job of being vulnerable but also funny and just really communicating the love he has for his family which is really lovely so again that is calypso by david sedaris that's an excellent pick. Yeah, I find his essays really absorbing and funny. And uh, but I haven't read one in a while because I I don't know why. But I I should pick this one up. It sounds sounds like a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. So my second pick does veer into like self help territory a little bit, but I feel like I can make a case for it. Uh, so it's called The Lazy Genius Way by Kendra Adachi. She's actually the person I referenced when I talked about self care is the thing that makes you feel like yourself. Um, she is a uh, has a, a a group called the Lazy Genius Collective. She has a podcast, a newsletter, all these different things. And her book is basically about the the like motto of the whole thing is be to be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. And so in the book and in her podcast and all of her stuff, she lays out these principles about how you can figure out what are the things that you yourself want to be lazy about and what are the things that you care about and want to be a genius about. And so like one of the core pieces of the whole set of principles and everything is to name what matters. Like that's the the first thing that you always have to do. And I have found that exercise of naming what matters and then making decisions based on when you've like articulated, like, this is what matters to me in this moment, or this is what matters to me about this thing. Um, it makes making decisions about what you should do really 
much easier. And then you can decide if a thing doesn't matter, then like don't spend a lot of time and energy trying to fix it. Um, and so part of why this book instead of her kind of speaks to me is she talks a lot in the introduction about like in the world, you get the, the feeling of the things you should do is very loud. Like there's so much input that you can take from a social media and a television and your friends and your family and all of these things telling you what to do that it can become very overwhelming trying to figure out what it is you actually want to do. And I'm a person who really struggles with the idea of should, like the should is really loud in my head all the time. And so I have, I have to work really hard to like think past that. Um, and so that kind of framing of the book really resonates with me. And so she talks about how like with all of these different shoulds and things that you want to do and all these things to pay attention to, it can be like overwhelming trying to sort through and figure out what does it actually mean for me to have a life that I am happy with and I'm proud of. And so she sets out these lazy genius principles. Some of them are sort of big, like name what matters. Um, I think she actually calls that one ask the magic question. Um, but there's other stuff like decide once. So she has a bunch of tips for like, just make one decision and stick with that decision until it doesn't work for you anymore. Building routines, setting rules for yourself, going in the right order. So figuring out what is the order of things that needs to happen, starting small. So she has these 13 principles. And so the book and the podcast and all the other things she does kind of work through those principles, explain how they are, and then show how and gives lots of different examples about ways that you can use those principles to help your life run a little bit smoother and help you care for yourself better. I have just found like particularly that like name what matters to be really powerful and it's been useful for me lately. So I think that this book, if you're a person who's kind of struggling with some of those, what should I do or how do I like decide even what are the things that I should care about or what should I prioritize? I think this book can kind of help with that. So the book is called The Lazy Genius Way, Embrace What Matters, Stitch What Doesn't, and Get Stuff Done by Kendra Adachi. Oh, that's so good. Like of self-help picks, I feel like that in particular just seems very, let's say, of now. <laughs> it's very gentle and it's yeah. not prescriptive. Like the the principles are like, think about this and then use that in your own life and make a decision about what you want to do. So it's not like you should always put your laundry away as soon as you do it, but more like does, does having a tidy bedroom matter to you? If it does, then you should put your laundry away. If it doesn't, then who cares? And so it lets you kind of figure out for yourself what you want and what you care about. Yeah, that's great. It's not like a, you know, seven habits of highly yeah. effective mm -hmm. people. It's like, yeah, that's... Yeah. That's really great. I've heard some other thing recently about, you know, figuring out like what your top, not priorities, but yeah, I guess like things that are meaningful to you, like mm -hmm. what they are. Um, and this sort of seems in the same vein. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really bad at picking out this kind of book, but this does sound very helpful. So, hmm. And my bedroom <laughs> is very messy and I would like it to be cleaner. So... <laughs> Okay, uh, pivoting yet again, um, my last pick, as foreshadowed in the intro, is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. I will tell you why. It is because when, not only did it launch me onto this Lincoln investigation that I am currently on, a journey, if you will, down the river of inquiry, but 
I feel like this type of book, particularly on audiobook, because if you are carrying around a big, heavy book, it can be dispiriting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But on audiobook, you can do another like relaxing thing. I told Kim before we started, my favorite thing right now is to listen to one of my Lincoln audiobooks and just do my coloring app. That's all I want to do with my free time. Like sit down, color, and listen to facts about Lincoln. And I feel like when you're going through a pretty hefty audiobook, it's satisfying because you are immersed in the story for a really long time and you feel like it is kind of part of your daily (laughs) just like way of doing things and then you're also feeling really accomplished when you finish so I just loved it I think that's kind of what's like gotten me to like keep going with this is I'm like yeah audiobooks about Lincoln I'll feel the way that I felt with team of rivals so (laughs) whatever that look like looks like for your particular genre for me it's definitely history but I think this could also work with like long like fiction you know like any kind of sort of lengthy experience that can be had that you can just do a little bit of or enough that you're feeling like, wow, I'm really making progress in this and then I feel accomplished. If that does it for you, then Mm -hmm. I really recommend it. And gosh, yeah. Also, Team of Rivals, there are so few books about Lincoln by women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, let me tell you. (laughs) So starting off with that one was kind of like peaking too early, perhaps, but (laughs) it was just, it's so good. Anyway, loved it. Do you want to talk about what we're reading now? Yes, we can talk about what we're reading now. So I am in the middle of another like scammy fiction book. <laughs> uh, it's called The Christie Affair by Nina de Gremont. Uh, it is a fictionalized account of Agatha Christie's missing 10 days in the 1920s, I think. Agatha Christie disappeared for 10 days. Uh, and then when she was eventually found, she was like, I have no memory of what happened to me. I have no idea. And so this book is sort of a fictionalized imagining of like what is going on there. And there's a all sorts of like good and interesting stuff. So I guess I didn't realize it until I like saw it on the list again that I was like, oh, I guess this is also about like a kind of a scam too. So uh, that's 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 where my brain is right now. That's um, I just love that you're in the midst of all this scam <laughs> stuff. Uh, I am reading The Dark Forest by Xin Liu, which is also fiction, and it is the second book in the uh, Three Body Problem series, which is also being made into a Netflix series, oh. which is fascinating. But it's the, I loved the Three Body Problem. The main things I'm reading right now are Chinese or Chinese-American sci-fi fantasy and Lincoln books. I don't know why. <laughs> it is. That is a very particular set of interests right now. Yeah. I know. But yeah, The Dark Forest is our, oh, just the ideas in it. So good. Cixin <laughs> Liu is just like, just like a genius. Anyway. <laughs> All right. In conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. Uh, If you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so people find us more easily. Then you can also follow us there so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.